This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by Westworld. Westworld follows the dawn of artificial consciousness and the evolution of sin in a dark odyssey that begins in a world where every human appetite can be indulged. Aaron Paul, Vincent Cassell, Lena Waithe, and Scott Mescudi join Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, Dandy Newton, Ed Harris in its third season, which explored questions about the nature of our reality, free will, and what makes us human. This third season is hailed by Decider as a technical masterpiece. Westworld is Emmy eligible for outstanding drama series and all other categories. Guys, HBO is listening to us. Cause again, the read is baked into what we're talking about in the episode. No? Drama? We're talking about drama, yeah. <laughs> it is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up, I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by Libby and Ben on either side of me, TV awards editor Libby Hill, TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we're going to be talking the acting categories for drama at the Emmys. Burying the lead, part of our conversation with the handmaid's sale, Elizabeth Moss, who was a delight. Delight. A delight. We talked for far too long to Elizabeth Moss, and we talked about everything we wanted to talk about. Chicago I mean, Cubs, yeah, Cats, and Dowd, The Last Supper, <laughs> Suburban Commando. No, we didn't talk about Suburban Commando. Normally, this is where I'd say skipping ahead to the clicker, but this week, we're skipping the clicker. Let's jump into the acting categories. Best Supporting Actor, the only category that won't have a repeat winner, or can't have a repeat winner, I guess. Unless Peter Dinklage was in something I'm not aware of. No, my dinner with Irve was also last year, so... <laughs> so you guys are both very similar in your predictions for this. I think the only difference is, like, the order of the fifth and sixth selections. Yeah, we, we mix it up. We mix up the last three, I think. But, yeah, we are very compatible, supporting I mean, actor-wise. If, if it helps, you know, spur a conversation, I don't feel good about half of these picks. So there's a lot of wiggle room here. Yeah, so the, you would say that the top three, which are the, where exactly you guys agree wholeheartedly, Culkin, Banks, and Crudup are locks for nominations. Yeah. Those I three will people never... will... You'll never <laughs> use the phrase lock? <laughs> right. I would never... I will never use the phrase lock when it comes to Billy Crudup and the morning show <laughs> because that hurts my heart too much. Uh, but, sure. I feel... Quite confident that all three of those men will get nominated. Um, it's it's weird to me that to, that everyone has Culkin in their top spot, and like including myself, because I don't necessarily think he's going to win. It just seems odd that they would be able to have the category without including him. He's such a memorable performance. Let's say, even though technically uh, his coworker uh, Matthew McFadden. Faden, Faden, mm-hmm. uh, is probably delivering a more impressive performance simply because it is so far afield from his actual personality, A, and Mr. Darcy, B. That, in a nutshell, speaks to my my lack of confidence in this category because it's the same question that haunts the rest of the drama race. How obsessed with succession will they be? Like, how much exactly. can succession make a dent as opposed to just kind of getting a good chunk of nominations. Like I feel confident that it'll do well, but it's impossible to say that succession is going to be a dominant force based off of what we saw last year. Like we just, we just don't know. So it'd be nice to see three names in this, uh, 
for for succession. It'd be nice to see, you know, a lot of representation across the board for the actors, but as we'll get into in the other categories, it's really hard to tell. And yeah, I mean, Banks is somebody who's been nominated a bunch of times. He has a good history with the Academy. He's coming off a very strong season on a very well-liked show. So there's not an issue facing him. There's no visibility problem. There's no um, like reason that the show would go away. Uh, it's it's a it's a consistent performer that that should perform again. Um, Crudup is one of those things where because he seems to be the one spot within the morning show that basically everyone agrees on when you don't count me, um, he seems like the the lock there. Like he seems like something that they can that Apple will be able to push into contention. He is the performer. He is the the performance outside of Aniston that people within the industry seem to have sort of congealed around from the morning show supporting cast. And I use that word very specifically because he's an oily character. Um, But I mean, I don't like having him up there. Like I just like being right. If that makes sense. Like it's not one of my favorite performances of the year. I just like, this is my job and I think he's getting nominated. Um, He did really well in the winter awards. And we've talked all the time about how those don't have direct relevance, but when it's at things like SAG, things like that, actors make up the largest part of the TV Academy voters. A lot of the contenders we have listed here aren't, you know, from shows that just came out or big surprising people or performances or whatever. Like, this is a, a lot of people who were also in contention back then. So the overlap between voting bodies could be somewhat similar. Um, and, you know, David Harbour is somebody that has gotten a lot of attention for Stranger Things. The show itself gets a lot of attention, but that show came out last summer. Um, Succession was obviously a fall show. Handmaid's Tale was last summer. Um, you know, Better Call Saul was earlier this year, but that's just kind of a staple. Uh, even The Crown was something from last year. So if we're talking about getting Josh O'Connor in there, um, he'd have to kind of build up a little bit more buzz than he even had already when the show debuted, which seems somewhat unlikely. So it's just, it's, um, it's one of those things where I'd say the biggest spoiler here from, from the picks that I have in place right now would be, would be, uh, Tom Pelfrey from Ozark in that Netflix is giving him a really big push. The show did very, very well. It had wide viewership. He was new this season, um, he definitely had enough of a substantive role within the season to uh, to earn that supporting part as opposed to like a guest actor slot. So there's there's something if they rally around Ozark, he could easily get in there instead of two for succession or instead of even David Harbour. So um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm still kind of undecided on how much people are going to like Ozark this year. But uh, Pelfrey is one of those names that if I had to pick kind of outside the box, outside of the the proven performers, he'd be the one. Yeah, I feel very similarly about this doesn't work quite as well. Um, But Giancarlo Esposito, um, it's a role that people love and and an actor who delivers the role splendidly. So if they get tired and they can't remember what they watched in the last year, which I'm projecting because, but... uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him in the list either. I I think your point, Libby, and this kind of goes across the board, is the fact that this is such a weird, strange FYC season that like the voting voting could just be like, this is what I did last year. (laughs) So I'll do the same exact thing. Uh, For instance. 
Except I'll just add where like where the Game of Thrones uh, characters can't be, I'll throw in someone new, but everything yeah. else will be the same. Oh, I watched Succession. I have slots, Game of Thrones slots here. I will put Succession people in here. That's that. That is my like hope. Should we move on to Best Supporting Actress, guys? I Should we move on? Should Only we move on? Mention Ozark again. Well, moving on. You're gonna get a chance to mention Ozark right up top because last year <sighs> Julia Garner surprised I think everyone viewing by winning this award. Uh, would you say she's a lock, Ben? Lock for, for nomination? nomination? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Okay. I'd say that for Julia. Uh, again, you guys are very similar in terms of your gold derby picks. Just order is the only thing that you guys uh, differ on. And the main thing being that, uh, Ben, you have Meryl Streep in the pole position. And Libby, you have Helena Bonham Carter. I am profoundly not sold on most of these nominees. Like... Garner gets in. I don't know who else gets nominated. Like I in intellectually Helena Bonham Carter, intellectually Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, um, because they're Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, Helena Bonham Carter. But I, I did people watch The Crown, and do people remember Big Little Lies? Um, I don't know. And like obviously they'll be reminded when they see the four hundred page ballot. But I just, I don't know. I just feel nothing. I look at this category and I feel so little. I I feel pre-rage in case they snub uh, one of the most deserving performances on television, that of Ray Seahorn on Better Call Saul, who has never been nominated for the show, despite being arguably the best performance on the show. I think it's going to be a wonderful category, so long as everyone's favorite Emmy-winning actress, Ann Dowd, somehow sneaks into this nomination tally. And as you mentioned, Leo, I don't have her listed right now because it is very competitive, and I am very concerned about uh, her getting bumped off the list two years after she she took home her rightful Emmy, uh, which should have been two and I do say that for Big Little Lies, even though it last competed as a limited series, I, I just don't I don't see anybody rebelling too strongly uh, because what they'd have to do is they'd have to say, one, this was a limited series. Clearly, it's now a drama series, but because you tricked me, quote unquote, last time, I'm going to keep it off the ballot this time. And that's one, just too complicated for Emmy voters to deal with. And two, isn't really a reflective of... of who they want to nominate in the first place. So I think Streep and Dern feel pretty strong. Like they're beloved by all actors all the time, no matter what they do. And if Laura Dern can get nominated for the tale, which obviously she deserved, uh, but was much less talked about when it, when it premiered, then she can get nominated for this. And that to me means there's about two spots left, which means Seahorn, Tandy Newton, and Dowd, and at the same time, like I, I'd love to see Susan Kletchy Watson sneak in. I'd love to see Tessa Thompson get in if somebody from Westworld had to, because Tandy Newton was completely wasted in season three, and Tessa actually had a lot to do and did it very, very well. Um, but it, I just, it's the same thing with the Emmys. It's one of those things where they they kind of check the box that they're familiar with. They check the box that they feel like they should check some of the time. And to me, I think that means Seahorn can get in this year because it's like the culmination effect, the Americans effect. This is, seems like the right time in the penultimate year for Better Call Saul. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of sticking with Tandy right now, even though I'd love to see Sarah Snook get in. I'd love to see Succession get rewarded a right. little bit more. 
I mean, there is absolutely a universe where we get an entire category just from those spoilers. Like, and it's a good category and it's not too shocking. Like, obviously it would be shocking if Dern and Streep and all of those names missed. But at the same time, in a normal year, seeing the category filled with the the spoilers that I realize now, uh, no one can see but us. Uh, sorry, we have a document listing all of these, uh, all of the predicted nominees, spo- potential spoilers, and and of course you can read all about this on Ben's predictions, Emmy predi- predictions on the website. If you read, I don't. Uh, but to I, I don't either. I just copy and paste it. No, but to 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 give people an idea who's on that list, you have Anne Dowd from Handmaids. Cynthia Revo from The Outsider, Fiona Shaw from Killing Eve, Holly Hunter from Succession, Yvonne Strahovski, who has honestly been delivering a wholly underrated performance on that show since it started uh, on Handmaids. Um, Millie Bobby Brown, I guess people like that performance on and Stranger Things. As Ben said, Susan Kalachi Watson on This Is Us, Chrissy Metz on This Is Us, Shailene Woodley on Big Little Lies, who I think performance is underrated, Felicia Rashad. Uh, from David Makes Man, Gugu Mbatha Raw from The Morning Show. Uh, like, there's an entire category there. There are several categories full of worthy and believable people on there. And um, I don't know. I, I fear we're going to get the boringest option. Well, I think what's worth noting, though, especially considering a lot of the names you just said, is that while it seems like Street, Carter, Dern, Garner, like those are those are big locks. Those are big names. Those are you know secure in this category. Like the people we have off the list, Ann Dowd has been nominated each year for Handmaids, and so has Millie Bobby Brown. She's a two-time two for two with Stranger Things as a supporting actress in a drama. Fiona Shaw has been up for Killing Eve. Um, Yvonne finally got in last year for, or I shouldn't say finally, she got in in season two for Handmaids. So like this isn't something where like there's a there's a lack of of proven right. options it's just one of those things where it's very hard to tell where the where the ultimate priority will lie when they when we look at the full board all right well let's move on to best actor where billy porter won last year for pose ben is this when you want to talk about the ozark news that we skipped in the clicker talking about I jason think, bateman i or? think it is worth noting i think it is worth noting that Networks, especially this year, it seems, have been very careful with when they drop important news around shows that are Emmy contenders. Um, this has always been a practice ever since you know the Emmys really grew in prominence. They, that networks and, and PR machines have been trying to create stories around shows time to uh, the awards because they need people to remember that they exist. They need people to, to be reminded that this is there so that it's kind of forthright in their mind when they're going to their ballot. And this week was no different. Uh, the past few weeks have been no different, really. But as we, again, gear up for voting, Ozark was renewed for its fourth and final season by Netflix. That came in on Tuesday morning, two days before voting starts, uh, as a nice big reminder that uh, this show exists a b is ending c is well regarded because with every new story that goes up about its renewal when there's not a lot of copy 
to fill uh, the space. They have to fill it with, hey, this thing has won Emmys. Uh, this thing has gotten good reviews. This thing has gotten X, Y, and Z that reminds people, hey, this is a big, important show. And HBO did the same thing with Curb Your Enthusiasm, which <laughs> God knows nobody could bet on happening. Nobody was like, oh, we definitely know we're getting a season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm. But same thing happened on Tuesday morning for that big Emmy contender on HBO's slate. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously there are very real things to discuss in terms of uh, the narrative possibilities that that creates for Ozark. 14 episodes in the final season, a.k.a. two parts of the final season split into seven episodes each. He won last year for directing, uh, but can he take home the acting award? I guess for this category, the big thing is uh, Kit Harrington gone, and you have uh, Mila Ventimiglia out, and you've replaced them with the two actors from Succession. Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong, but otherwise you have the the category exactly the same. Bateman, Odenkirk, Cox, Strong, Brown, Porter. Well, this is our this is as Libby mentioned the big this is us problem in which who knows every year it seems like somebody's trying to tell you that Milo isn't going to get in, and every year he's gotten in, uh, and, and again two of them in the same category makes it harder to predict that sort of thing. And yet we're doing the same thing for Succession. So it's just, it's trying to feel out those trends, trying to say, you know, Succession is a little bit stronger this year. So we expect that to get a little bit of a boost. But if it's going on viewership and popularity, then This Is Us cannot be counted out. So here is my, can we talk about my big fear for this category though? Ooh, I wonder Uh, if it's mine. I'm afraid Billy Porter gets dropped. Ooh. Yeah, but, but who takes the spot? My ultimate fear, which, again, is based entirely in, in my own head and yet carries its own warped sense of logic because of it, is that Porter gets dropped in favor of Steve Carell. And that maybe we're underestimating This Is Us, but maybe we're underestimating The Morning Show. And uh, Apple TV can capitalize off of the immense popularity of this guy who can't seem to catch a break with critics, given the results of everything from The Morning Show to Space Force to Jon Stewart's comedy Irresistible, but he's still very well liked by the TV Academy. And if they're going to recognize him somewhere, I don't know if it's this or for Space Force where, you know, comedy might have a little bit weaker of a race. But again, because he's very front and center in Apple's campaign for the show, and he did, if I'm not mistaken, grab a SAG nomination at the end of last year, He's somebody who I think is sitting right there as like the person we've kind of, I have at least kind of counted out, but can't quite forget is a player. I have him in comedy. Like I know Space Force is really weak, but I, that comedy is a weaker category. So I know that's where, that's where I have him as playing sort of a spoiler. Um, This category feels too stacked, even though it's not, Mm. it feels it feels more locked up than maybe some of the other ones. Like we're going to get these nominees in some kind of, except for also all of the, this is us people. It's again, do they watch this is us? Do they watch succession? Do they watch Westworld? Ben, you, you are right. Steve Carell did get nominated at the SAGs. Uh, the SAG grouping for uh, actor was Peter Dinklage who won Sterling K. Brown, Steve Carell, Billy Crudup, and David Harbour. Yeah, that's SAG's tough because they don't do supporting categories. So you definitely know who's strong there, which makes a really good point, Ben. I think I might be underestimating Carell in that category of the actors 
something to keep in mind, something that I have uh, conveniently been forgetting myself or trying to overlook is that SAG has never really gone in on the succession actors. Um, it's a problem. So we'll see if that has an effect on things in a few weeks. Well, guys, moving on to Best Actress, and maybe using the SAG Awards is another jumping off point here because the SAGs, the SAGs had Jennifer Aniston, Helena Bonham Carter, Olivia Colman, Jodie Comer, and Elizabeth Moss, which are, aside from the fact that Helena Bonham Carter will be in supporting, uh, lines up with, I think, both of your top four. Exactly. Aniston, Coleman, Comer, and Moss. And then well, think- you guys... Again, agree on on most everything. Oh, I guess Libby, you have Lenny in the number one spot. Yeah, that's where we've got to start. Let's talk All about right, sorry. Laura let's, Lenny let's and Ozark. Let's do it. We haven't talked enough about Ozark this week. Libby, talk me through the Laura Lenny idea. I'm tired of having our top six look exactly the same on Gold Derby, <laughs> and I feel like it's the category is a real toss up right now. Uh, I'm sure as shit not voting, putting Aniston in the top spot. How um, dare you? And I had, I had had Coleman in that top spot uh, a lot for the same reason I have Malik on my list. Uh, you know, she's an Oscar winner now. Um, she's playing the queen. I don't know if anyone watched it, but it, it just, um, it seemed natural. I bumped Lenny up there because I, every year up until this point, underestimate the industry's love for Ozark. And I thought, maybe this time I'll get ahead of the buzz. Um, I refuse to do it in actor. Uh, I refuse to do it with Bateman. I know he's beloved, but I have to believe it'll go to a succession actor. Um, but that's that's why Lenny's in my one spot right now. Uh, also, she's just the best person. So, uh, Well, I have Aniston in the top spot because I think Apple will go all in in the most obscene way we've ever seen to get her an Emmy win in season one. Um, it would be unprecedented for a streamer to have its first original series in the first year of competition win such a major award at the Emmys. Um, so I think that they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that happens. Given that she won the SAG and given the enthusiastic response around her win for the SAG, I think that that speaks well to just how people are feeling about her in, in general, uh, as you know, everyone other than, than Libby, obviously. Uh, but I think Coleman is somebody who is still is very, very strong. Uh, I think last year's winner, Jodie Comer, uh, should be a pretty good lock this year, if, if only because Killing Eve remains an extremely popular show, even if season three took a pretty big hit critically. Um, and Comer has an episode that's kind of given to her in its entirety and lets her do a few new things that are exciting to watch. So I I don't think anybody's going to hold it against her. Moss is somebody who represents that show so well that it's hard to imagine her getting kind of bumped off the list. And then it kind of comes down to, it kind of comes down to, you know, how those last two spots get filled out yet again. And I, I love Laura Lenny. I think Ozark is, is, you know, right there. So it's hard for me to imagine her being left off the list in a season where she arguably outperformed Bateman. Um, and then that last spot, you know, a lot of people are saying Kidman because it's Big Little Lies and because it's Nicole Kidman and because how can you not? 
but look at the competition again look at how many people who in previous years were nominated if not locks for a nomination like evan rachel wood in westworld sandra oh and killing eve mandy moore finally got in for this is us um Viola you know, Davis. Viola Davis in the last Claire season. For, right. All of them are, you know, powerhouses. Like, they're, they shouldn't be that... Any of them making the nominee list shouldn't be that surprising. And yet, because of what we're looking at this year, it, it, it would be. Especially somebody like Danes, who's just been off the radar for a little bit too long. Listening to you two talk through this category, I don't know how there's another... Like, I, I know those first five seem like locks with a capital L and then literally you're saying like are we gonna bump Nicole Kidman for Evan Rachel Wood or Mandy Moore or Sandra Oh like it's like there's seven people vying for one spot kind of in the whole spoiler territory I would also like to just flag if we could that it's a real shame Kiki Dunst is stuck in this category considering on becoming a god in Central Florida, while an hour long, is absolutely a black comedy and should be competing in the comedy races. fucking furious about it. Legitimately. It's wrong that she... It's wrong that they did that. And it really burns me that the Academy has no problem changing its mind on other things. Clearly, what with the whole Black Mirror brouhaha earlier. Like, it's a comedy. Like, I don't know... I don't know why they are so married to this idea that half hour, comedy, hour long, drama. I mean... It's kind of crazy. This category has last year's winner, obviously, uh, in Jodie Comer. And then it has Aniston, who won the SAG. It has Olivia Coleman who won the Golden Globe. Elizabeth Moss, who's won previous Golden Globes for this role. <laughs> There's and too many... And Emmys. There's too much going on in this category. Yeah, and it's also another category in which it could be completely controlled by white nominees uh so that would be a, a great way to remind people that hey rosa salazar in undone fantastic really so impressive good. work she's really like i mean animation aside just really putting in some incredible performances so let's reward that same goes for mj rodriguez opposed oh, uh, yeah. who's absolutely fantastic and uh I think that this is one that our, our colleague Ann Thompson thinks might actually happen. I completely disagree, but I would fully support Zendaya making the cut for Euphoria. I don't think Euphoria deserves anything else in terms of the primetime Emmys. There's some uh, there's some creative arts that it could easily and, and justifiably get nominated for, but Zendaya's performance is absolutely one of the top six of the past year. Uh, she carried that very strange, very dark show from start to finish. Um so that would be nice. It's kind of crazy that we ended on Best Actress, which segues wonderfully into our interview with Elizabeth Moss. Oh, my God. We interviewed Elizabeth Moss? We did last week. It was we so there. good. It was so good, Ben. I must you have You would have loved out. it. I think you did. <laughs> several times. I also- definitely... I definitely froze several times during the conversation. <laughs> I didn't realize this until we hung up, but I have... Peggy on the wall behind me. Oh, wow. She was there the whole time. So without further ado, here's our interview with Elizabeth Moss. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am excited to learn about 
season four of The Handmaid's Tale. We actually so am I, the, <laughs> I know. We <laughs> premiered the um, the teaser trailer for season four, promising oh. us that the show will be back in 2021. As an executive producer, can you talk a little bit about what the process of of bringing us and and restarting production looks like on your end, and and what kind of progress you're making, and and what kind of considerations you have to take? Um, it was just on a call tonight about it. Um, you know, it's, there are a lot of prongs to the, to the process. And, um, obviously there are all the health and safety regulations that have come out from, you know, from Canada, that one's called section 21. There's the white pages, I think it's called. There's all the guild outlines that we've all seen. So there's a lot of stuff to look at. Some are mandates and some are suggestions. Um, and there's a lot of information that's like coming in every day. Uh, so we're kind of dealing with that, grappling with that, having conversations, trying to figure out, you know, how do we make the show? Because we have almost all of the scripts um, written. So, oh. you know, yeah. So how do we make the show that we wanted to make? Um, you know, uh, how do we stick to the show that we have made for the past three years? Um, at the same time, keeping it safe. At the same time, making right. sure that it's safe for everybody, for the crew, for the cast, for, for everyone. Uh, so that's, that's the balance. And we certainly don't have all the answers, but we're having conversations about it sure. every day, trying to figure it out. Um, we shot two weeks. So um, there are actually four shots that I directed in that teaser. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a shot of Nick and there's a shot of, um, there's a shot of Fred and uh, a couple others, but uh, um, I was very excited to see those. Uh, so there's a, I shot, I, I only directed for like a day and a half, but um, we have a little bit in the can, but not enough to make anything. So, so yeah, it'll be 2021, but we're hoping to go back obviously much sooner than that. Absolutely. So June went on a real journey um, in season three. <laughs> And and she made some choices at the end that I think some fans <laughs> might have been split on. Tell me this. In a world when executions are sort of summarily uh, taking place all the time, how do we how do you keep it realistic that June is still alive? And and how much of it is just about Hannah? for her if she was able to get hannah out is that it like would she be done well to answer i have a couple couple answers for you the cold the kind of cold executive producer answer is like <laughs> the reason the reason why june is still alive is because i that you know i'm the lead of the show i'm number one on the call sheet. It's because the lead actress insists we not yes, kill her somehow off. i insist on being on the show no like that's you just we can't you know i, I of course. It's called The Handmaid's Tale, so we can't kill The Handmaid. Um, I mean, I guess we could, but I don't, and I hope people don't <laughs> want that. Uh, but, you know, we, so that's, that's one answer. The other answer is really good. The other question is really good, though. Like, if she could get Hannah out, would she go? I think 100%. I think absolutely. Um, I think she, I, I think that's the only reason, I think that used to be the only reason that she stayed, I should say. That used to be the only reason that she stayed. I think it's gotten, it's morphed a little bit in season three into it's Hannah, but it's also, she's gotten 
a more global sort of idea of what her role could be in the resistance. So mm -hmm. I think if she could get Hannah out, she would go immediately. But I think that she's also now, and this is what sees the end of season three was about. She also is like, Oh wait, there are all these other kids and perhaps the way to really, can I swear? I don't know. This? Yeah. Oh, like, oh, yeah. This is okay, an explicit great. podcast. Perfect. Excellent. <laughs> Apple um, knows. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, you know, it, it, if I really want to fuck with Gilead, if I really want to hit them where it hurts, it's get, it's taking their kids away. And um, so I think she's kind of now straddling getting Hannah out, but also wanting to enact change on the ground and dealing with that as we go into, into season four. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, at the risk of shifting tracks too abruptly, uh, <laughs> I jotted this question down and Ben seemed to. Oh no, you froze. Oh no, he I know froze. He froze. I think I know what he's going to ask too. This was the question that Leo wrote, and as soon as he wrote it, I couldn't think about anything else. And I'm pretty sure it's the um, it's the idea that you have to work so close to camera so much of the time. Like the way that this show is shot, um, not only do you have certain moments where you're you're looking directly into the camera, but there are there are so many close ups of your face that one balancing those that performance is very very difficult. And two, there has to be something, you know, visually interesting about that kind of repetition, about seeing those shots again and again and again. Um, but for you as an actor, like, how do you ignore it? Like, how do you start to build up that tolerance for just having the camera be right there while you're still living in a world and a narrative where it doesn't exist? It's kind of a combination of um, I don't see it and uh, I, I just don't, um, I just don't see it sometimes. It's weird. And, but also then completely contradict myself and say, I also use it and know that it's there at times and find it a very useful tool. As at the risk of sounding a bit cheesy, um, for me, the camera and the lens is, is my window to the viewers. So I know that it's not in the moment. I know there's just, you know, there's a man on the other side sweating and covered in, you know, wearing black and... <laughs> and um, swearing under his breath. But I, I, I know that's not what's happening in the moment, but I know that that is my, that is my window into, into the viewers' homes, really. And so for me, I, I love that connection. I love, I love how close it is, and I love, I, I love it feeling um, extremely intimate, and I feel like um, with a good camera operator as well, and I adore camera operators, and I think they're incredibly important um, members of a team. And I, uh, the fact that you can, you sort of, a good camera operator, you have a string between you and the camera and you and the lens, you and them. And that string, you know, it moves and, and, and it can stretch and it can come back together. And it really is you, you, a good camera operator you feel really connected with. So for me, it's just another tool that I use. So I don't look at it like something that's like, what are you doing? Get out of my face. It's something that I feel very connected with. I have to commend Ben. Because he, he voiced that so much more artfully than I wrote it down when I just wrote it. really did. I wrote, like, I was amazed. It was the same question. I wrote, how close is too close to the camera? Touching. That's amazing. It just seems like, seems like yeah. the easy answer is touching. And you're like, yeah, if the, if, the lens, often if the lens touches too close to the camera. Ben's like, uh, this is too close. I'm going to help. Too close. 
Uh, I wanted to ask if I could really quick about um, just kind of scene partners in general. And, and most of my knowledge is going to come from handmaids because that's what I've spent the most time with. Um, that's and good. Watch, well, well, I like watching, it. <laughs> uh, watching those scenes oh, wait, wait. where there's, there's just, <laughs> there's just, there's a lot of kind of, um, there's a lot of tension which, within each exchange. There's a lot of mm-hmm. kind of, whenever somebody has to share information with someone else, it's this delicate kind of, trust exercise where almost every word and every gesture and every line has to convey something very specific for the other person to, you know, to even want to respond in any sort of authentic way or or move the scene forward or find a purpose within that moment. Um, I I don't understand how you do it with so many different people. Like there's, there's obviously the series regulars who have to kind of come in and learn that specificity, but you also have so many new cast members who step in and they have to get it just right, and yet TV moves so quickly, and you know there's so much nuance packed in. Like as a as the top of the call sheet person, do you kind of help at all? Like, do you set a tone? Do you set like the the barometer for how to gauge those scenes and, and try to give people time? Are there tips that you have like when you're trying to you know bring somebody new in and make them feel comfortable? Like, what's that kind of process? Like? It's interesting. It's a very good question, Ben. Um, I think that. It's changed over the years, you know, it's funny on a show because the first season when you're when you're doing the first season, no one's seen it. So nobody knows what it is. And then by the time you get to a third season or a fourth season, you now have people, guest actors coming in or guest directors coming in who have seen the show. And they're perhaps or hopefully fans of the show. So they so they sort of it's a good and a bad thing because in a way they come in and they're they have a knowledge of the show understand it and they know what it is it's it, it the negative side of it is they are like oh my god there's you know whoever it is now oh, there's serena or there's you know somebody and they're like a little bit starry-eyed so i think that you kind of have to um because of my involvement in the show as an ep i really live with the scripts for a very long time i saw the first scripts back in december for this for this season december night 2019 so like and knew what they were going to be in july of last year you know of 2019 and knew where we were going with the show so like i live with these stories for so long and i think about it so much and i so i think by the time somebody gets there whether they're new or whether they're regular our regulars have a pretty good understanding of what they're doing they're amazing but you know you're so in you're so in deep and you've thought about it so much that it's it feels relatively easy to 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 communicate to them, this is what this is where we are in the season. This is where we are in the episode. This is what the purpose of this scene is. This is, like you said, the specificity of this moment. And this is where we're going with June. And this is why you're here. And you you just have thought about it so much. So I think you know you want to kind of. I try to welcome them into that fold and try to give them as much information as possible. And give them scripts if possible, tell them what, ha- a lot of our guest actors show up and they have no idea what happened before, right. you know, in the episodes leading up to these episodes, they're like, I don't know where we are or why we're here. And so I try to like, kind of be like, and then that's why you're here. And then and like, and they're like, wow, because they don't know sometimes, but in a way, my job is the easiest job in a way. Cause like I, I, it's not easy, but it, in a way, my job, I know the part so well, I know the character. I've thought about it a lot. I know what I'm supposed to do. I can, you know, just put me on and I'll, I'll do it. 
so I, I, I do have time to think about a lot of the other elements um, because mine, I'm kind of like, it's fine. June's fine. We'll do that. It'll be all right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And yeah. did you ben, have a, a follow-up follow question? question? Uh, I do have a follow-up question, which is where I burn off any goodwill that I've earned thus far. You're like, you like teed um, like them up. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I, I'm, I am a massive fan of And Out, and And Out is the nicest, kindest, most generous person I may have ever met in my life, but I've only yes. met her off the set. So I'm very curious what it's like to work with her in those scenes when she has to do the things that she does in the show. Like, I don't oh. know if she just flips it back and forth or if she's just like that person while she's working or like, I don't. So please tell me anything you oh, can I'm, about. I'm so glad you asked because it's, it's so fascinating. It's, she completely flips it off. Like she completely goes back and forth. She literally will. It's psychotic in the most like genius way. She is, as you know, like the nicest person, the nicest person. Like she will, so she'll be doing a scene where she's like, girls, like blah, blah, blah. I'm like cattle prodding people and yelling and burning people's hands. And she, and, and then it finishes and she's like, we often have a lot of background um, actors. We have a lot of handmaids often that she's working with, you know? And as soon as it, it, she, there's a cut, she's like, how are you, sweetie? Are you okay? How's your boyfriend? Did you get to see him recently? Or she'd you know, be like, how's your father? Is he feeling better? Like she knows everyone's story, everyone's family. Like she'll, she's constantly being like, is everyone drinking water? It's very important that you hydrate. Like it's, is everyone well fed? Did you get a snack? Did you get a, like, she's like, it's crazy. And then there's like action and she's like, goes right into Aunt Lydia. It's, it's truly like mental. That would make Aunt Lydia so much more terrifying to me. Like if I saw the, that <laughs> yeah. juxtaposition of just like, oh, this person's super nice. Then all of a sudden she was a monster again. It would just, I would be right back into the place. So I know. To when, but when she's in it, she is in it, man. Like she's like, I remember we were doing a scene once in season series in, in season three and she pulled my chairs we were we were acting and she pulled my chair so hard that I almost fell out of it and I literally I, I don't know if it's in the show or not but I literally like looked at her and was like can't. like <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Anne but she's in it I mean she's just when she's in it she's in it yeah, she did. Brilliant. She did tell me once that she enjoys to get out that side of herself, like that that is a real part of her, and playing these roles allows her to kind of. So maybe she was enjoying it a little bit. Maybe I think she does. A bit of I, think, I think she does enjoy it. I can see that, which I love. Guys, we're back. Oh my god, she's so great. How is she so great? That was amazing. I loved it. She's wonderful. Let's do yeah. it again. Yeah, uh, be sure to stay tuned. It's a lot shorter to... than I remember. Leo. It is shorter. That's why. That's why I was gonna say if you do want to listen to the full interview or watch the full interview, mm -hmm. uh, we'll be releasing that a little bit later in the week. Uh, but it'll be on the same feed that uh, Millions of Screens is normally on. Guys, it's that time in the show when I do a very quick Google search for the word Quibi, and here's what we got: the fall of Quibi. How did a starry 1.75 billion Netflix rival crash so fast from The Guardian? Uh, wow, Forbes, Forbes <laughs> Quibi stumbles on lack of TV know-how. Variety, The Princess Bride on Quibi, a review of the first four minutes with Adam Sandler and dot, dot, dot. 
Yeah, that was a the all of those articles are deeply flawed. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't really like coming to the defense of Quibi, but one it is not competing against Netflix, and two, um, to say that its failures are based on misunderstanding television seems odd for something that was very purposefully not trying to be television. Um, that being said, didn't uh, even it doesn't even work on a television. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> That's actually a perfect segue, Leo. Um, into so, does all of that coverage mean that Quibi is? Dead? No, Quibi is still alive. In fact, uh, apparently a day ago, they made a deal with uh, Blumhouse to create a murder mystery series. I don't know why. It'll probably have a bigger budget than most Blumhouse films um, uh-huh. because it's Quibi and they don't know how to haggle. Uh, also, Nicole Richie's comedy, Nikki Fresh, was renewed for a second season. I actually enjoyed that, so I'm not mad. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about our TV, and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite Elizabeth Moss performances are as Jenny Tyler in The Last Supper, obviously, Zoe Bartlett in The West Wing, and Little Girl in Suburban Commando. Oh, wait. Those are just Leo's picks. I'm Leo. You can't write this. You can't. You can't write this in the in the third person. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T Travers and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So please leave a review and a rating and let us know what you think. This is Ben Libby and Leo. Remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast.